You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 89 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week in studio by Hunter Atkins and Jeremy Paxton. Kevin Cook has a week off. I guess he's got the flu or something like that. So, uh, Kevin, uh, we hope that you feel better soon. But we've got a great episode uh, in store for you today. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy, former head coach of the Houston Rockets, currently uh, the lead color analyst for ESPN covering the NBA, is going to join us here in a few moments. And also, Sean Pendergast of Sports Radio 610 and CBS Sports is going to be joining us here in studio uh, in about 30 minutes. But, uh, Hunter, it's great to have you back. I think the last time we saw you was before spring training. Mm, well, definitely it was before spring training. I can't remember what the hell we were talking about, though. So either way, it's good to be back. It's, well, I, I, I see Hunter every day walk to his car from like a distance. So I see you, Jeremy, every time I close my eyes. <laughs> little little bromance, right? Yeah, every I, I was now and say, then I get well, a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's funny because with the restraining order and all, you would know. So, you know. All right, so this took a, a definite turn. In a turn for the intimate, Austin. All right, yeah. That's what we bring on this podcast. We make audiences feel very intimately involved in our lives. Absolutely. So we have about probably an hour and a half worth of great interviews with both uh, Jeff Van Gundy and Sean Peter Gass. And so that's, I guess, intimate broadcast. I, I don't know. Hunter's shaking his head yes. But uh, Hunter, uh, before we actually dive into the Jeff Van Gundy story you've been covering the Astros you've been writing some great pieces enterprise stories uh, for the Chronicle uh, tell our listeners what they should be reading right now yeah well definitely don't read me um, <laughs> you should read Jake Kaplan who is our Astros beat writer he's doing a great job uh, with the Rockets beginning please read Jonathan Fagan he's sensational he's so good so good the, the, I mean I really do think he is the best NBA beat writer in the country um, I guess those are the most relevant guys. Oh, and Jenny Dal Creech and uh, Brian T. Smith for columns. And then tonight, on Sunday nights, we have our 30-minute sports show on KPRC2 called Texas Sports Nation. That's on at 11 p.m. So, you know, if you really want the best look at Houston sports, uh, definitely turn that on uh, on Sunday nights. Absolutely. And uh, this week, I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't win the Peel Wizard. I thought that you should have definitely won... The, the the big prize mainly for my erotica yes yeah next year 20, 2018 is your year but uh one thing that i i want to get in briefly um tony romo obviously not coming to the texans retiring going to cbs i didn't have a chance to ask you about this but last week on the show we briefly mentioned mark cuban signing him to a one-day contract <laughs> i was just in <laughs> dallas and people in Dallas were, you know, kind of poking fun, saying, ha you thought you were getting Romo. That's not happening now. Apparently, that was really celebrated, that Romo had a one-day contract with the Mavs. Everyone thought that it was brilliant. Everyone loved the idea that he was honored in that way. If your season means nothing, you might as well have him as an honoree. You I mean, know. Does that kind of... I mean, so many guys in the NBA would kill to be able to sit on the end of bench, or at least play a minute in a game. And then you have Mark Cuban trying to get him on a 10-day contract to actually get in the game. I mean, was it just a sideshow or are you kind of okay with it? I'm fine. Who cares? I mean, like the piety over this stuff. This is my <laughs> Tim Tebow argument too. God. He had a home run in his first at bat in, <laughs> in the regular season this I'm year. I'm fine with it. I just, uh, I don't I can't believe people Sells care. jerseys. I can't, I, fine, yeah. I just can't believe people care so much, right? I, I used the word before, the piety. 
that other guys would kill to be on the end of the bench. It's not like he actually is taking a spot from somebody who right, would be that, playing. He's a clown for a day. I'm fine with it. In an organization that often likes to have a court jester. So, uh, well, yeah, I have one in the yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was like, this is all like influenced by people's hate for Mark Cuban, which I think is yeah. justified. More or less. Although, if James Dolan of the Knicks did this, that would have been amazing too. James I would have Dolan really... of the Knicks just signed Phil Jackson to a two-year extension. What are your thoughts on that? I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. When did when was that announced? Yesterday, Saturday. I believe it's Friday or Saturday. Yeah, two-year extension. Okay, so you can't see it right now, but Hunter is like complete shock. Currently, uh, putting his hands over his head. I think it's like the initial shock, and now it's sadness. Uh. I just I I'm, I swear to anybody listening I hadn't I did not know this I really I really didn't know this this is that is hard to fathom right the I, unanimous I opinion of the NBA universe minus James Dolan and Phil Jackson is that Phil Jackson was to quote our president a disaster sad <laughs> sad that's me right now I'm the sad one this is fake news it's not fake news. This is so stupid. I'm sorry to break the news to you. I feel like this has happened a few times on the podcast. I think I broke news to Kevin that someone had died. I think it was like David Bowie or something like that. He was like, what? Like he was just in complete shock. I mean, it's not quite the same level. You're right. It's worse. So what do you do as a Knicks fan? I just keep crying and touching myself. (laughs) (laughs) Which you do anyways, like all the time. It's a healthful distraction. (laughs) Right. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and get into an interview with the uh, former head coach of the Knicks, Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, Both myself and Kevin uh, sit down with him for about 25 minutes. Then uh, we'll be joined shortly by Sean Pendergast. And uh, enjoy. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Joining us now on the Weekly Brew podcast is a former Rockets head coach and current NBA analyst for ESPN, Jeff Van Gundy. And coach, we appreciate you taking the time for joining us this week. And for full transparency to our listeners, uh, we're recording this segment prior to Game 1 between the Rockets and Thunder. And to me, this is by far the premier series in the first round of the playoffs with two of the league's top MVP candidates. And uh, both have had remarkable seasons. And uh, coach, if you're voting... Do you cast your ballot for Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi, or LeBron? Well, I think you can make a valid uh, case for any of those players, plus Isaiah Thomas. Um, if I did vote, which I don't, but if I did, I'd vote for uh, Harden in a very narrow win. Nothing really tips the scales, because if I said any of the other guys, I could make a valid case for them as well. I just look at uh, them struggling last year, uh, Howard has let go. They made some uh, really nice acquisitions. Uh, Mike D'Antoni being uh, as good an addition as you could have. And uh, he's been an absolute uh, consistent rock for them to rely on. Uh, they don't have a lot of creators, uh, guys who can make plays to help other guys play well. Uh, and he's carried that burden exceptionally well and done it very, very efficiently. So I'm curious, uh, your opinion. You have a lot of uh, ideas about how to improve the league. You have very strong feelings about what, uh, what isn't going right or what could be improved. I'm always curious, you know, during any given broadcast, you may drop a lot of nuggets about how things could be better. And you talked about the All-Star game, and you said to Mike Breen that it's, uh, it was a disappointment. I think you said the players have left the commissioner only one thing to do with the All-Star game, which is to abolish it, which is a pretty hard line, I think. So looking back, I mean, there are great All-Star games not that long ago. In 93, you had Stockton and Malone were co-MVPs for the West. It was a three-point game. 
game. Hakeem had to come off the bench for that. In 2010, Bosch hits two free throws to give the East a 141-139 lead. Carmelo misses a buzzer beater. You talk about that being the genesis of the Miami Heat. Big three. Uh, and then, obviously, you had the 2003 Atlanta double over. I mean, MJ's last game. There are good games in recent history. What, what's been the problem, and how do we fix it? How do we make the All-Star game important, watchable, and fun again? Well, I, I, I'm not of the belief that you do. Uh, that's why I think it should be abolished. It's, it's a colossal waste of time. And, and certainly, I don't want anyone who t- tunes into the NBA uh, irregularly to think that that's NBA basketball because they don't even try. And when, and something, when, when you don't compete at all, then it loses all that makes the NBA great, which is the best players in the world trying hard against each other. And it shows you how good those guys can be getting out of the way of people. And it's just being a layup line. That's all it is. is—a glorified layup line where people are dunking and they go down there and they dunk or shoot a wide open three. That that's not, that's not enjoyable. It never will be. Um, and uh, like I said, I think, you know, because the players have said through their actions they don't want to play in the game then we should just give everybody more rest and take the week off and come back and play meaningful games you know i i personally would like to see that just because i I don't know to me watching the all-star game is worse than watching and one basketball you know back in the late 90s early 2000s on espn but uh, we hear a lot of talking heads suggest that you know the nba season is too long that there are issues of the way that we see playoff teams resting players so on and so forth in a season which TV ratings are down this season, if you're the commissioner, uh, what are some steps that you can take to kind of improve the NBA's entertainment value? Well, I think the number one thing is, if healthy, have your players play in the games. And, you know, that's a, you hear this term all the time about partnership. Uh, There is no partnership right now where teams, players, and coaches feel uh, the burden of trying to help each other out by playing when they're healthy. And so uh, I think that would be number one. Number two is uh, four minutes of a close game is interminable. It really is. Timeouts, reviews, free throws. It, it's never ending. There's no excitement. So I would try to implement um, no timeouts in the last two minutes. Uh I would try to shoot less free throws by pushing the penalty back to the six free throw. Um, I would eliminate halftime and play quarter, you know, play just four straight quarters. Uh, I would try to speed the game up so it could be in a two hour window and where there is less stoppage of play and more flow and rhythm in the last few minutes of a close game. I think it's tough to get rid of that halftime because you have commercials that are of a lot of value to the league, and obviously the TV partnerships is part of what's uh, play it during the game. Play it during the game. Play it during the game. Play those commercials during the game. Uh, put them on the bo- bottom of the screen. Do them at free throws. No one cares about free throws. Mike Breen, my partner, is the only one excited <laughs> about free throws. Who cares about free throws? It's like watching extra points in football. Do you really pay attention? No. It's a non. It, it, there's. It's a non-competitive non-exciting part of the game 
it's, it is a big deal. It's what people have been talking about. And Adam Silver gave some lip service to the idea that, you know, you don't want to be wrestling these star players. Uh, it's interesting because obviously I have a media badge and I have season tickets as well. So I go whenever I feel like it. the problem doesn't really affect me as much. But a lot of people are complaining about when LeBron sits, when Kevin Love sits, Kyrie Irving, you know, uh, Steph Curry, these top tier players will be resting for a game. And it's been a topic of discussion. I don't get the impression that uh, that Commissioner Silver is uh, anxious to do anything specific and concrete about it but you look i think the analytics of it the math of it plays out you know you need to rest these guys in order to keep them healthy for the playoffs it seems like a problem without a solution uh because for every harden and every westbrook playing almost all 82 games you have you know a kevin love that needs to sit down for x number or lebron who is playing a lot of minutes this year but traditionally takes you know a couple of games of rest here and there is there a solution to that problem it's different than when you were coaching obviously you didn't have that happening when you were coaching do you think you see this coming back at all well Again, I don't. There's no science that that proves anything that wasn't able to be proven back then. I mean, this idea that there's some science to the fact that um, if you do something more than if you don't do it, that you have a chance to get hurt. Like, yeah, but I don't understand why we see these guys as victims. We're all volunteers. We all signed up for it. 82 games. You know what you signed up for. And it is absolutely bait-and-switch tactics to market these players, say, come and see them play, you buy a ticket, and then they, when healthy, sit out. It's just wrong. I mean, again, if you – any other business that did it like this would be under investigation, and people would be, like, absolutely apoplectic about saying – you know, and now we're saying they have to rest, like – Again, there there are many ways to rest. You don't have to play as many minutes in the game. You can uh, take days off from practice, which I'm sure they do. I mean, we now have guys taking 10 games off. Listen, I have no problems with shortening the season. None. Whatever the the scientists come up with, they say, in this six-month period, you should only play 60 games. I'm fine with that. I think it would be great to have less games. But just don't expect to make as much money. And as long as everybody's fine with the possibility of making less money, and I know some people are out there saying uh, the players would make the same amount of money, but as long as they're fine with making less money, if that's what comes about, I'm absolutely fine with playing less games. But don't sign a contract for 82 games and then complain about having to play 82 games. It's what you signed up for. I tend to agree with that assessment. And uh, Daryl Morey was actually one of the guys that was discussing uh, playing less games uh, in the NBA. But, you know, when I when I look at look at what you just said, you suggested that, you know, playing 82 games, you got to play out, uh, you know, the full value of that contract with the recent CBA coming into effect. I don't know. To me, it just seems kind of unfair that we have the max contract systems in place with guys like LeBron being capped at a certain dollar figure and then someone like Chandler Parsons being able to get a max contract as well. Uh, is, is there something that should be done to kind of, I don't know, place more value on those, more financial value on those players that bring so much to the league, whether it's tickets, revenues, uh, ad sales, and just, I don't know, just general excitement to the league? Absolutely. To me, there should no be no player max salaries. There should be a team like a hard cap. So let's say you want to make the hard cap at um, 120 million, and you've got you have to fill let's say 13 slots. You could give, you know, 100 million to LeBron if you wanted. In my opinion, 
Um, but you have a absolute hard cap, whatever it is. And then you make decisions based on what you feel gives you yourself the best chance to win. A, I think it would, uh, have the stars go to different teams instead of trying to buddy up and play together. They would, uh, obviously because they can make more money. They, it would, it would give everybody, everybody's city a chance to have a true star. And you wouldn't see Durant in uh, Golden State. You may see him in a different spot, but you wouldn't see him in Golden State because Curry would be making $40 million and Green would be making $20 million or whatever, however it worked out. But um, I like the idea of a hard team cap, but not a hard player cap. Interesting. And and you've got a lot of strong opinions on coaching, which I love. It's a fraternity. Obviously, you're a part of it. You're now an analyst, but you still have a lot of those coaching roots. It's always curious uh, to hear your perspective on that. So I want to talk about Coach of the Year, uh, which is, I think, a uh, pretty competitive. First of all, no coaches have been fired, which is uh, great for guys coaching the league. You know, nobody's lost their job. I think it does speak to the level of coaching a little bit and also just kind of a weird situational thing where guys have some years before expectations set in and they're liable to lose those jobs. But for me, Dan Tony's a candidate and maybe the chalk pick you know, based on what he's done with the Rockets and Harden this season. But I think there's deserving guys like Quinn Snyder out in Utah, Brad Stevens in Boston, and even Scott Brooks in Washington, I think deserves a look. Um, and a guy I've always liked who's, who's in a better situation now for him, I think. Uh, who, who's your coach of the year? And what are the things you look for when you're thinking about who deserves the coach of the year award? Well, I think that's a really hard um, decision because to me, it really comes back to whatever your expectations were and how that team performed. So um, I think Mike has done a terrific job with the Rockets. Um, I think Daryl in conjunction uh, put together a roster uh, of shooting that was much better last year. They loved shooting the three this year. They love making the three and they've added a lot better shooters, right. To try to play the way they want. Um, I think Billy Donovan in, in Oklahoma City has done a terrific job. No one talks about him. Uh, they lose Durant, and they have very little offensive firepower outside of Westbrook, and yet they make the playoffs as the sixth seed. Uh, you could always vote for Popovich. How, we, how do we overlook Steve Kerr? You mentioned Quinn Snyder, Eric Spolstra, the turnaround they've had in Miami. You know, you can go on and on. Uh, and th- to me – that truly is a team award because every every coach is humble enough to know that you don't accomplish anything in this league without a good roster. You mentioned Popovich, obviously, kind of like LeBron. You know, he he's the perennial, could be the coach of the year guy because he's been the best coach in the uh, league for, for many years now, I think. And and you look not too far from us as well, Rick Carlisle, I think is another very well-respected guy that I believe in as a coach. So you got two maybe all-timers in Rick Carlisle and Greg Popovich not far away from us here in Houston. D'Antoni's new, but I like what he's doing with the team. I like the resurgence he's had here. Where, where do you put uh, D'Antoni in terms of where the three Texas team sit in terms of having the coach that uh, is going to get into the next level mike was a terrific coach long before he hit houston uh he really in many ways revolutionized modern day nba basketball with how he uh played with phoenix and that's from a roster composition downsizing playing stoudemire at the center uh, sean marion at the four uh playing pick and roll on nearly every single possession uh, with Nash, who became back-to-back MVPs. So, uh, you know, Mike really 
with his seven seconds or less sons, now the league plays like he once played uh, back in Phoenix. And so it's totally changed how NBA offenses uh, work. And then you have, uh, you know, Popovich has done it for 20 years uh, in San Antonio. Uh, You know, the amount of success that they've had, the consistency of success is off the charts. And, And as you mentioned, Rick Carlisle, Dallas is having a down year this year. They may be headed for a few more down years uh, as Novitski ages and they try to figure out how they can construct a roster that can get back to being competitive like they were. But he does a fantastic job every year. Detroit, he was coach of the year. Indiana, they had some terrific teams uh, until the brawl in Detroit and now in Dallas. Just been an absolute mainstay and a rock of consistency. Yeah, kind of segueing back to D'Antoni, you had mentioned that he's done such a phenomenal job this year with the Rockets organization, just kind of transforming it. I think they were projected to go 41-41 and 41 by the Vegas oddsmakers before the season started, but now they have a tough matchup with Billy Donovan's Thunder team. Uh, this you know weekend, starting in the first round of the NBA playoffs, if you're kind of handicapping uh, that, that first-round matchup, uh, who do you put as the favorite? And uh, for me, who, who is the X factor in that series outside of Harden and Westbrook? Well, first of all, I think the Rockets will win easily. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a compelling matchup at all. I just think Houston's a lot better, um, a lot deeper from an offensive talent standpoint. I think it'll be a 4-1 series. Um, and I think it comes down to, to me, the only way the Rockets uh, lose is if they get dominated on the board. So that's Steven Adams and Ennis Cantor and, and that group. Um, if they can pound them on the board, they can hurt Houston, who's not a great defensive rebounding team. And the other way is if Houston uh, just uh, has a two-week period where they just don't shoot the three well. And uh, listen, the volatility of the three uh, makes that, you know, you susceptible to a, a quick funk. But I do believe the Rockets have so many shooters now that they'll find a way, even if one or two guys struggle, they'll find enough offense. I just don't know where uh, Oklahoma City, unless they just batter the Rockets on the board, where they can find enough points. Just watching some of the games that you've done on ESPN recently, you made it kind of abundantly clear that the Warriors are the best team in the West with a healthy Kevin Durant. And, you know, barring any injury for Durant that kind of holds him out uh, through the postseason, is there a scenario in your mind which a team like the Spurs or Rockets could emerge from the Western Conference? And also, on top of that, you know, the East seems kind of up for grabs. Who do you see emerging out of the East? Well, the answer to the first question, no, I see no path for anybody other than the uh, the Warriors to win it. I just, they're too talented. They're too dominant if healthy. Now, if something strange happens like it did last year with the green suspension um, or an untimely injury certainly that uh, makes everything different Uh, but I don't see anybody really challenging the Warriors I don't see it getting uh, to a seventh game in any series Uh, I don't even know if it'll get to a sixth game in any series I just think they're so they're so much better talent wise than everybody and in the east I'd still pick Cleveland to come out I you know but They've basically punted uh, uh, the regular season, and now we'll see if it works for them. And uh, uh, 
I think they'll come out of the East, but I think they'll get pushed in both the second round and the third round. So, Coach, you are uh, certainly often in the headlines. People love to quote you. People love to reference the things you say. They are sometimes outlandish and sometimes, I think, right on the money as well. And people enjoy, you know, your perspective on things. One of the things I was interested in was your perspective on Patrick Ewing. Obviously, you had him as a player, played for you. Um, He is now the coach of the Georgetown Hoyas, which, you know, I don't know the guy. When it happened, I was a little bit skeptical, saw it as maybe a legacy hire. But then I saw your statement uh, about Ewing kind of being underestimated as a coach, people having misconceptions about his person. Personality, uh, just you know, from you, how well suited and prepared do you think that he is for this job as the head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas, and what impact do you anticipate him having for them? Listen, just like the NBA is all about your roster, so too is college. So uh, he's very uh, well developed in over his 15 years as an NBA coach in being a, a good leader, uh, knows the game, knows how to teach it. But if their roster doesn't improve dramatically, the results won't. And so this first year could be a real struggle because uh, they've they were they're a bad team. He's taken over and they lost some people. Um, he's going to have to hire the right people to help him get uh, teach him about recruiting in college and then help him uh, find the right fit for Georgetown, how he wants to play and how he fits into the school. But uh, this is someone, uh, listen, no great player has ever invested more in coaching than Patrick Ewing. Top 50 players don't do what he's just done, which is serve a 15-year apprenticeship, learning a second craft, uh, and doing it, you know, so very well. So uh, I'm hopeful that it turns out well. I think it will, but I also think it'll take some time. Another uh, opinion of yours that I actually love. You wrote in the Players' Tribune about Yao Ming, uh, talking about Yao in his mid-20s, younger than Shaq, older than Dwight, better than both in their head-to-head matchups, which is one thing I always remember and talk about when people criticize Yao Ming's career, uh, is that you look back and he really played well in those head-to-head matchups against uh, what we consider to be all-time greats. So Yao's a Hall of Famer now, uh, though it's primarily based on his contributions to basketball internationally as an ambassador. Um, how underappreciated is Yao? and What do people not understand about the time he spent in the association and doing the things he did? Well, listen... It- if you had to play against Yao, prepare for Yao, or get to coach Yao and play with Yao, you understand, listen, he didn't do it for a long period of time due to injury, but when he was healthy, he was a dominant player. I mean, he toyed with Dwight Howard. So if Dwight Howard's going in the Hall of Fame someday, which I suspect he might, you know, that Yao is in the Hall of Fame is a no-brainer. This guy, when you – offensive centers – uh, other than the brute force of Shaq, uh, in my era, because uh, I came at the end of Jabbar, um, so like he's in another plane of offensive centers. But in this era, the last you know 20 years or so, when Yao was at his best offensively, only Shaq uh, was better. I mean, Yao was just such a great offensive player, an array of post moves, could make a 15-footer, great free-throw shooter, a uh, terrific passer. So he had every offensive skill. Um, then you talk about him as a teammate, uh, the best teammate you could possibly hope to have. I mean, just an absolute stud as far as taking what, taking responsibility for his own play, accountability for the team's play, 
and never blaming others, always looking from within on what he could do better. So Yao Ming, to me, uh, if the league was full of Yao's, uh, what a great place it would be to coach and what a great uh, place it would be to be a fan because he is a remarkable, remarkable man. Well, what again, you, you tell stories. I love hearing you on the broadcast, and we're certainly looking forward to you uh, broadcasting the playoffs, too. What, one of the memories that I have is you, I think it was the NBA Finals last season or maybe the one before, where you kind of told the story about hearing from uh, secondhand from A.C. Cowlings that in that O.J. car race that he was listening to the Rockets-Knicks NBA Finals. And I actually have a vivid memory of watching Game 5 of the NBA Finals in 94. And my dad, I think it was picture-in-picture picture because they were following the O.J. chase. And my dad said, who gives a crap about O.J.? OJ, uh, and he was furious. Well, as it turns out, of course, the entire country and world uh, gives a crap about OJ, and it spawned two television specials that this year were very successful. But, but I, I, when I heard that story, I thought to myself, no, no way is that actually. Do you really believe that that was what OJ and AC were doing in that car on that chase? I have no idea. I don't even pretend to know what uh, was going through his mind uh, as he was doing the slow chase, but. Uh, that's what was relayed to us uh, from, you know, now it's all about fifth hand, obviously. Um, but uh, that's what I was told. And uh, uh, I don't even know why I brought it up. I think Mike Breen was reading a promo for one of those OJ documentaries that came out. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that was the case, actually. That's what kind of sparked memory. And that's what I love about you, because you're so off the cuff that you had a memory and you just related it right there to millions and millions of people. And I'd like to believe that that story is true. It feels true to me on a certain level. Well, I don't want to get uh, too personal and talk about guys that already have jobs and stuff, but there is some buzz on the internet about the Pelicans being interested in you. I'm not going to ask you if you're interested in the job, because someone currently holds it. But the, the, the rumor is that uh, they are looking for a basketball president of operations and coach kind of the role that your brother has in Detroit um, I'm more curious about generally in terms of the league that to me seems like a lot of responsibility for one guy to have and I've never been in charge of a basketball team or even really related to one professionally but it just seems like you would want to have those responsibilities separated what's your take on that is it better to have one smart talented guy in charge of everything or is it good to segregate those responsibilities in terms of what teams ought to be doing well I think you have different uh ways to be successful. So Greg Popovich in his 20 years is that's what he's done. He's, he's been the guy in charge. That doesn't mean you do all the work. Uh, obviously RC Buford does a lot of the day-to-day -day, uh, handling of the roster and moves in the draft, but pops in charge. Uh, Doc Rivers uh, in charge out in LA has had good success. Um, you know, and then you have Danny Ainge, uh, in Boston, who, you know, as a coach, no matter if they've had Doc or Brad Stevens, uh, you know, they do have that separation. So uh, you can succeed in uh, many ways and you can fail in the same amount of ways. And really, it depends on your situation. The one thing that occurs when you have one guy in charge is usually have good alignment between ownership and management and the coaching staff. Uh, whereas some other organizations uh, under adversity can fragment when you have separated responsibilities because oftentimes uh, when blame is about to be parceled out, the GM will blame the coach and maybe the coach blames the, the GM as well. So, um, But, uh, yeah, I think you can be successful in many ways, and I think under the right circumstances, 
uh, and the right delegation of responsibilities, it can work. Well, I think that's an interesting take. I, I've always been personally kind of opposed to it, but uh, but I do see the point there. It's really, there's no better or worse to it. It's just uh, another way to win or to fail, as it turns out. Well, uh, it's been a delight, as I suspected it would be, Coach Van Gundy, uh, analyst Van Gundy, I guess it is now. We ordinarily, at the end of an interview, tell people to go follow someone on Twitter. Uh, you don't have a Twitter. Uh, I don't know how to direct people to you. Maybe, maybe your schedule for the upcoming couple of weeks. Where can people find you and enjoy you uh, over the next couple of weeks? Well, we'd be doing uh, uh, playoff games basically every Friday and Sunday, I believe, until the uh, we have the Western Conference Finals this year on ABC and then the finals. So, yeah, I stay away from that social media game. I'm not sure uh, what uh, purpose it serves, but uh, whatever it does serve, I know a lot of people are doing it. And uh, I just choose to uh, not only embarrass myself when I'm on TV instead of through other means. So. Well, I think that you would be one of those handful of people that if you signed up for an account would have a million followers within 24 hours. I have no doubt that would be the case. But uh, but we're certainly glad to be able to have you, at least on the television broadcast, one of the most unique uh, and interesting voices in basketball, I think, Coach Van Gundy. Jeff Van Gundy, thank you so much for joining us, man. We appreciate your time. You got it. Take care, guys. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. So you just heard a great interview with uh, Jeff Van Gundy. We appreciate Coach for coming on the show. But uh, now joining us here in The Weekly Brew Studios – Sean Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, right before he goes on his uh, CBS national show. And, and Sean, this is your third time on the podcast. And we've spoken a lot this spring about the Sean plan to kind of get the quarterback situation right here for the Texans. And it, it's kind of gone to crap. But let, let me ask you something. This week, you and Ted Johnson, one of your co-hosts, came up with a new strategy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's a strategy as much as it is wishful thinking, but I, I appreciate you guys having me on. And thank, really, thanks for putting me on after Jeff Van Gundy. <laughs> like Jeff Van Gundy's like one of the best, like most awesome guests that there is. So I, I, I've got, I've got a tough act to follow. Um, but uh, yeah, the Sean plant. What happened was I went on vacation to Orlando. And I leave, and two days later, I'm getting texts from people like, hey, Tony Romo's retiring. And I'm like, God, I leave for like two days, <laughs> and you guys can't keep the Sean plan alive. Um, so, yeah, the Tony Romo thing is dead. You know what? It's funny. We, yeah, we got into this discussion, and I didn't think I would suck Ted over to the dark side as, as easily as I did. But it happened just kind of spontaneously on our show where um, Pete Prisco was on with the morning guys with Mike and Seth, and he there was a sound cut on the cut sheet about – this year's quarterback class in the draft versus next year's quarterback class. And we had one segment to go in the show, and it was like, okay, we, you know, poor job of planning by me. I didn't have anything for the last segment, so I'm just looking at the cut sheet, and I'm like, well, this looks like an interesting cut. So we come out of the break playing that cut, and I figure this is something we can riff off of for like, you know, five or six minutes and then, you know, go home. So we play it. And we start talking about next year's quarterback class. And we get and and as happens sometimes in radio, you meander over to a topic. And what eventually it wound up as is, God, I don't know if I want the Texans really reaching on a quarterback if all these guys next year are so good. Like there's some really good quarterbacks in next year's draft class. And that morphed into one of these sort of greater good conversations that somebody who wasn't in an NFL locker room tends to propose. Like, hey, would you um, would you go through a 2-14 and 14 season in 2017 if it meant having your choice of any of these quarterbacks a year from now? And anytime I bring up one of those topics that would imply accepting losing, Ted has always crapped all over the topic, <laughs> like always as a former player. And Ted didn't immediately dismiss this one, which was interesting. I said, okay, well, Ted, 
and I brought up Sam Darnold's name. Right. It could be anybody. But I said, Ted, go home tonight and watch Sam Darnold and watch film on him and then come back tomorrow and at 2.05 tomorrow on the show, right when our show starts, we'll, we'll oppose the question to you again. And sure enough, 205 the next day, Ted was, he was in. He's like, you know what? I think I'd do it. I think I'd do it. And what people were misconstruing about this new, th- th- this new concept, I'll call it, was that it, we were, we were uh, promoting tanking. And we're not promoting tanking. Uh, like, the players are going to try. Right. I think in any sport, I think even in basketball, when everybody's talking about tanking, I think the players are trying. I just think management is just putting a really crappy team on the floor. Like, I don't think that the guys on the Phoenix Suns are out there playing half-assed defense. I just think there's some really bad players out there playing is what it is. But in football, they never tank. I I truly believe that. Like, the Cleveland Browns were trying to win at the end of the year. You know what I mean? So it's not tanking we're promoting, but especially as somebody who has to sit through and do 16 post-game shows, would I go through 16 post-game shows of a 2-14 and season if it meant finally solving this quarterback thing? And my answer is yes. So so why is it that the Texans can't, like resolve that quarterback situation because I mean Hunter you're new relatively to Houston and I remember during the fall you would send us text messages telling us how atrocious Osweiler was and you you would just say he needs to be gone immediately like this is horrendous Sean 15 years why have the Texans still not had a quarterback yeah I boy I I think it's it's varied from the different regime I mean obviously they thought they were solving it right out of the shoot with David Carr Um, and then you know there were a couple of good years of Matt Schaub and then we know what happened with that. I, I think the biggest surprise of all the, you know, we'll call it the three regimes that have been in place, head coaching regimes, you know, Capers is almost set up to fail because you're an expansion coach. Right. Kubiak maxed out at a certain point, and he cratered when Schaub cratered. I, the, the O'Brien one is, is a, I don't want to say mystifying, but it's been very eye-opening because Bill came here as a guy who was – um, his reputation was one of someone who was a quarterback shaper, a quarterback molder, someone who got the best out of quarterbacks. And they have, with, with him here, I don't want to put it all on him, but, but the, there's no question that the last three years they've completely butchered that position from being too conservative in their thinking, being, maybe being too choosy the first year he was here, maybe getting a little too cute in the draft if you really like Jimmy Garoppolo as much as people say they did, that you, you pick Xavier's to a philo instead. You're going to be able to make a case, I think, if when it's all said and done and if the Bill O'Brien era ends badly, um, and it's more likely to end badly than it is to end good right now, that you'll look back at the Xavier's to a philo pick as the most disastrous pick of the Bill O'Brien era because wow. of the guys that they passed up at that pick with Derek Carr going two picks later, with them really reportedly liking Jimmy Garoppolo and letting Belichick swoop in and take Jimmy Garoppolo, and you wind up with C.J. Fedorowicz instead in the third round. So I, I, think, I think some of the guys he's trust the veteran guys he's trusted at that position have not been very good players. I, I think getting too choosy maybe and getting too cute in the 2014 draft is going to have come back to bite them. And then obviously the Osweiler thing was a, just a gigantic miscalculation that to me now... If I'm a Texan fan, I have zero trust in this regime that they're going to be able to identify. Why would I trust the two guys who reportedly sat in a room and watched every Brock Osweiler snap and decided to give him $72 million? Why would I trust those guys in terms of picking out the next quarterback, whether it's through the draft or free agent? It's going to be through the draft. So, you know, that, why would I trust them? Yeah, and, and to me, I, I, I got to look at J.J. Watt. I mean, you know... Mr. Texan, if you will, currently is J.J. Watt. The former Mr. Texan has to be Andre Johnson. Yeah. Hall of Fame numbers, yeah. despite not having a quarterback. We've seen some injury issues, obviously, this past year with J.J. 
there's questions on whether or not he's going to be able to compete at that same level. Yeah. Is it almost like frustrating for him knowing that he's, you know, this all world, probably one of the greatest defensive linemen that we've seen. And he's not going to probably be able to win a championship because of the ineptitude in the Texans locker room. Oh, not if they tank. Listen, <laughs> if we're talking, about, you know, if we're talking about tanking, right? Who's going to benefit most from that? It may be the guy who had his back split in half, right? Why not give him another year to sit, right? If, I mean, if, if Sean, you know, like <laughs> if, if you really think that management can be savvy enough to fill the seats but lose games, you know, another season without this guy could, could be sort of a win-win. They're never sitting J.J. Watt for another season. They're, they're not, they're, they're not going to – in the name of losing, they're not going to do it. The only way they would sit J.J. Watt is if medically – um, they were just, they, they which could be, which could be stated. So we should, which, we should pay some doctors. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now we're like next level on the, uh, on the conspiracy, uh, on, on the conspiracy in, stuff, on the conspiracy <laughs> stuff. It's, you know, it's funny you bring up JJ Watt because, um, I had always been at that thinking too, as he was winning defensive player of the year awards and he's having to do it on teams that are finishing nine and seven or, or uh, you know, they, they, he didn't win the award the year they went two and 14, but he had played at that level. Um, and I'm thinking, boy, they're really bur- they're burning daylight on potentially the best defensive player maybe of our generation. But, uh, and I'm not saying this just because he was hurt last year, and maybe it 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 kind of um, it it marginalizes his role in the future with this team. We don't know what he's going to be this year until he puts the pads on. But whatever decision this team makes can't be because well we got you know we we got to get this thing cranked up. We got to make a bunch of risky moves now because JJ Watt's going to be retiring in a few years. You, whatever decision you make, make the decision in the best interest of the Texans organization. And it may be a decision that doesn't pay fruit until two or three years down the road. And if that means you've burned another two or three years of JJ Watt's career going six and ten, or two and fourteen, or nine and seven, or whatever, then then so be it. But you've got, especially at the quarterback position, you got to make decisions in the best interest of the franchise. To answer your your original question, Austin, the how how does you know how does JJ feel about this whole? I mean, obviously JJ only knows how he feels about the whole thing, but I, I would imagine it's incredibly frustrating to be a, a great defensive player. I'd imagine it's incredibly frustrating to be a defensive player on this team over the last three years and go out and put up the performance that they have as a unit, progressively getting better each year to the point where this year they were the number one defense in football, and the offensive side of the football is just a, just a complete cluster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, that, That's got to be – they'll never say it. Publicly, players won't say that, but it's got to be, I would imagine, incredibly frustrating. I could tell you that privately the, the defensive players say it. That they – yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't know anything of that to that effect. I just know what human nature is, and human nature to me has got to be like, man, we're, we're – you know, we're, we're doing it. We're holding up our not. It's one thing if the offense was average. They're not even that. They're not right, even. No, right, they're right. not even that. And it looked like a high school offense at times last year. So <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some pretty efficient high school. Yeah, offense. Yeah, no, no, no disrespect to all you <laughs> okay. high schoolers out there. Yeah, with the exception of what, like 2012, that yeah. season when Matt Schaub just yeah. like had crazy numbers. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, this is kind of a pattern for the Texans going all the way back, <clears throat> and it's sort of this serial incompetence. I hate to bring this up, but you know, at what point do we blame Bill O'Brien over maybe Rick Smith? Yeah, you know? I, and and you know, how much of this is Bill O'Brien, and how yeah. much of this is Rick Smith? And I, I you know. 
on this podcast, we we have a track record of talking about Rick Smith and yeah. unsavory yeah. terms. So I, I just I, I I hate to like beat on Bill O'Brien because I actually I think he's a good coach. Yeah, I know I do too. Let's it, let's it's it's fair to bring up I bring up O'Brien only because it's he the I think the frustrating thing about this team offensively is that Bill O'Brien is an offensive guy, and that to me is like that that's that's the damning thing. Like if you look back when Kubiak was. You know his first five years, when everybody's expecting them after year four in two thousand nine, when they went nine and seven, to finally make that leap and become a playoff team, they go six and ten, and it's incredibly disappointing. That team failed because the defense was terrible. So I th- it was almost like that gave with a patient owner like McNair, that gave McNair still had an opening to because I think he liked Kubiak to keep Kubiak and then bring in Wade Phillips to to architect the defense. It's almost like Bill O'Brien is now down to his last. He's got. He's down to his last card. You know what I mean? Which is, I'm taking over the offense and I'm going to control this. And if I go down, I'm going to go down swinging with me, calling the plays, designing the plays, you know, putting in the packages, things like that. As opposed to having an offensive coordinator, I don't know that it's the right approach. I was more of an advocate of O'Brien bringing somebody else in. Let's redo this thing. You were 29th in DVOA last year, so let's just hit Control Alt Delete. You got some good players here. Draft some more players for that side of the ball and let somebody else do it and be more of a CEO. He went the total opposite way. Like he's now he's micromanaging the offense. And I I just don't know. I don't know how it's I don't know how it's gonna work out. But I'll say this if they are a failure on that side of the ball again, then then you know, he, that may be it for Bill O'Brien. You know what I mean? Like if they go six and ten or five and eleven this year in that division, that that could be it. And they're not going to go six and ten or five and eleven because the defense was bad. We know the defense is going to be good. So when when Football Outsiders came out with their first forecast of records for this year last week, they forecast the Texans at six and ten, and last place in the AFC South. And they and even, their comment even was, "This is still going to be the worst division in football." Well, last place in the worst division in football. If they go six and ten, it's because they were bad offensively again. I don't know if Bill O'Brien survives that. I, I really don't. But and you brought up Rick Smith, so I, that that that's why I bring up Bill O'Brien. Rick Smith, my my New Year's resolution with respect to Rick Smith, because <laughs> it's so murky as to who chose this guy or who chose that guy or who made that decision or who made my New Year's resolution was anything personnel related. I'm going to put on Rick Smith because that's what the function of a general manager is. So any, that's what I've done. Anything personnel related, Rick Smith's fault. And, it's, and the, the recent stuff has not been a good look for Rick Smith with having to trade Brock Osweiler, who was your big free agent signing. They cut Tony Bergstrom, who was one of their other free agent signings. Jeff Allen was another free agent signing last year. He didn't have a good year last year. Like they brought in these four free agents, had these huge press conferences for all four of them last year, and two of them aren't even here anymore. And the other one, Jeff Allen, did not have a good year last year. Lamar Miller's the only one that's really kind of and he was overworked. How, how, yeah. Look, how about the losses under this guy? I mean, you have breakout performances on the defense from Boye and yeah. Demps and whomever, yeah. and now they're gone. I mean, how much, you know, we, we certainly, I, I have you're to say. You're talking about I, the free agent losses, you're saying. Yeah, yeah and it's, and I, don't, losses, I, don't yeah. Ha- I have to admit, you know, I don't have nearly enough acumen for the salary cap. Yeah. But to lose those guys is also, you know, hugely catastrophic, right? So we're talking about why would they, why would, Football outsiders forecast them at six and ten. Yeah. Maybe some of it is because of the improving teams in their division. I, I mean, it's not because their quarterback is going to be any worse. It is actually, I'm guessing. I haven't looked at them myself, but I'm yeah. guessing it's because their defense is going to be more depleted as well this year. Here's what I think it is, and they don't let you. They don't peel the onion back and say, "Here's where all the numbers came from." I don't even know football outsiders. They run simulations or how it works. They come up with a mean number. That must be what it is. They, they, they run. 
they, they had a mean number of wins of, over, you know, all the simulations that they did for the season, and that's what it came out. It came out six points something for the Texans. Here's what I think it is. Because I think you can get past – losing Boye is, is, is weird only because they traded Osweiler and got a bunch of cap space in right. the process, and you let Boye go. Um, but I don't think they wanted to overpay Boye. John Simon going um, leaves you with some depth issues at that position, but he's not a world beater. Um, who, who else? Oh, Quentin Demps. I, he's replaceable. Here's what I think it is. Is the I don't know how much better. He, I mean, Brock Osweiler was a bad quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But Tom Savage has yet to throw a touchdown pass in the NFL. Like, let's let's slow down before we hail Tom Savage as someone who we know for sure over 16 games, if he can survive yeah, yes, a issues. game, right, is better than Brock Osweiler. Here's the other thing. Go look at the wins and losses from last year. The losses were, like, especially to good teams, were bad. Like, they they were bad. Like, that was a Denver loss, bad loss, Minnesota loss, bad loss, Oakland. New England loss. Yeah. Oakland. You know, yeah. Oakland, was, Oakland was actually, you know, a, a close game. They gave up a few huge plays in the second half. But on the aggregate, the losses were, were especially to good teams, were, were bad, were really bad losses. I don't think in the regular season they won a game by double digits. I don't think they won a double-digit game until they got to the playoffs and beat up on Connor Cook and the Raiders. I was going to say there's a reason they led the league in uh, field goal scoring. <laughs> right, 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 right. So my, my, po- my point with that is this, is that, is that n- you can get to 9-7 and seven a lot of ways. Some of them are sustainable, and some of them are a little bit of fool's gold. And I think when you have a bunch of close wins like that, those are things that tend to – even out year to year, like they, they're, they're going to lose a couple. Like, they, they, you know, I think there's something to be said for winning close games and having an acumen to doing that, and having you know, they're and, and maybe a, you know, a, a psycho, you know, psychologically is a team that when they have a lead in the fourth quarter, they're pretty good at hammering away. And but I think, I, I think the the regression to the mean, we'll call it, when it comes to these close games, and I think the fact that the division is getting better. Tennessee is going to be a better football team next year. Indianapolis is going to be a better football team next year. I don't think Jacksonville is going to be worse next year. They you know have quarterback what I mean? issues as well with Bortles and yeah. inconsistency. Yeah, yeah. So they've got a lot of talent on that roster. So but by default, the point is, how much worse can that team really right. get? Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, I don't know. When I look at it, maybe the Texans shouldn't have. I don't, I don't know. Their record last year decent, but it leaves them in a position where they're picking number twenty-five in the first round. Yeah. So if they would have gone, you know, a six and ten last year, they maybe would have had a better shot at someone like Pat Mahomes, who a lot of people were kind of questioning on whether or not he would be a first-round pick yeah. once he declared for the NFL draft, and now it looks like he could be one of the first two quarterbacks taken off the board. Mm-hmm. NFL drafts here in two weeks. Texans need a quarterback, but you know, as you guys have talked about on your show, there might not be a long-term answer in that first round. What do the Texans do at 25? Do they reach on a quarterback, or do they potentially trade up? Is Garoppolo still in play at all? If I had to... If I had to okay, there, there's a lot to unpack there. If I had to... <laughs> there. I'm going to I'm going to work backwards. I don't think Garoppolo is getting traded. So we'll just I'll, I'll I'll cut to the chase on that one right there. I don't think I think Garoppolo will be a New England Patriot next year. Um and I don't know what that means for the future as far as Tom Brady. I just think I, I just think they they'd rather keep Garoppolo and if they lose him and get a third round compensatory pick for him in 2019, then they're willing to roll with that because of how valuable he is as a backup to Brady at this age. So I don't think they're getting Garoppolo. Um, will they, so what is our, what is, what is the, what does history tell us about what the Texans might do at 25 with this pick? 
I don't think they're going to package a bunch of assets to trade up to go get somebody. I just don't. It's not in their nature to do it. And, the, and one of the biggest assets you could move in a deal like that would be your second-round pick next year, which they've already had to staple to Brock on the way out the door. Um, and I don't think they're going to reach for a quarterback at 25 because they history tells us that they they will they will draft the guy they think is the best. They, they, they've shown behavior before that they'll just take the best player. Like the year they drafted Kevin Johnson, they didn't need a cornerback, but they drafted him because that was the best guy they had on the board at the time. So this is a long way of me answering. Like I, I have this horrible, horrible feeling that it's going to be one of the second or third round Nathan Peterman types that... I just cringed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but... But that's this team. You know what I mean? Like that's, I, you're you're asking me what I think they're gonna do. So I'm giving the answer that I think is the right answer. It's a terrible answer though for most of us because we want this team to do something where it feels like it's outside the box. They feel the urgency that we all do with this position, and and I think they do. I just don't know that it's in their nature to 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 risk it like that. You know what I mean? I just I I. Which sucks to say, but I, I I think that's if you'd if if you had asked me like what I think it is they're going to do right now, I'm they're going to take someone who they think is a safe second or third round quarterback. That's that's my feeling on it. All right. So in summary, the Texans are bad. <laughs> they're headed in a bad direction. Yeah. With an unproven quarterback, yeah. a pointless draft, having lost key, some key free agents. Yeah. Are we talking about anything else today? Yeah, let's switch to uh, a, t- a team that's actually doing something right now. Rockets. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the tag team champions in WWE for a second. <laughs> the Hardy Boys. I, tell, oh, yeah, I, I, I so really excited. wanted to talk Donald Trump's appearance and <laughs> Hall of Fame status in WWE. I didn't know Hunter was such a big WWE fan. He's I didn't either. Like this is, yeah, he's yeah, coming podcast, out of the blue. For the podcast uh, listeners at home, I'm wearing the most flattering shirt I own, which is a neon green Macho Man Randy Savage yeah. shirt. Yeah, we'll take a photo of it. And we'll uh, post it on our Instagram page. Yeah. It wouldn't be yeah. the first photo of me online wearing wrestling attire. Yeah, I think he has a spandex uniform uh, under his shirt. <laughs> Jeremy, <laughs> totally. Don't encouraged. let out our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to. Well, I guess we'll get to WrestleMania because you were at WrestleMania. I was, I was kidding. I was kidding. No, 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 no. If we start, we're going to ruin the bandwidth. <laughs> but let, let's talk Rockets real quick. Okay. I mean, uh, we are recording just just a few hours before tip off. Yeah. Of game one, uh, it has great storylines. I mean, it's it's probably one of the best first round matchups out there, at least on paper. Harden Westbrook, Rockets went three and one this year. Yeah, against Oklahoma City, the one loss coming on the road at yep. Chesapeake Arena. Is Early go- in the season, yeah, too. Yeah. I think it was like November, December. Is, yeah. it, is this going to be? Uh, I don't know the series that everyone wants it to be, or do the Rockets just have too much depth, too much firepower to overpower? Who I th- someone who I think is a ball hog. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, let me put it this way. I picked the Rockets in six. I really wanted to pick the Rockets in five. How about four? I would love to pick the Rockets in four. Here's, a th- here's, my, thing, here's my thing with the Rockets, just in terms of my prediction. And what a terrible answer I give my prediction is the first sentence in the, pr- <laughs> in, in the answer. Um, but uh, uh, I just don't know if I can trust the Rockets yet to be that team that puts their foot on another team's throat in a seven-game suit. This group of Rockets to be the, the team that puts their foot on the throat of another team in a seven-game series where it closes, you know, to close them out in four or five games. Such a Skip Bayless hot take. 
Can this team put their foot on the throat yes. to close it out? We haven't seen that from this team. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, right. And then this is where, who to skip through the show with Shannon Sharp? With Shannon Sharp, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Skip. Let me tell you something, Skip. Uh, James Harden is the MVP of the league. <laughs> He's the MVP of the league. Patrick Beverly is a Tasmanian devil, Skip. <laughs> it's Russell Westbrook and a bunch of guys from New Zealand, Skip. Sean is totally taking, you're stealing my podium here. This is, you know. Is that, is this your, that's your gimmick? <laughs> that is, is gimmick my, infringement? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, I didn't even know I had a Shannon Sharp in me. No, that's pretty impressive. Thanks. We all have. <laughs> we all have a little, a little bit of Shannon, Shannon Sharp in us. I, so... So I think Rockets and Six. It, the, your your question was: Is, is this going to be the series that people are looking for? Is, are they going to get out of it what they what they kind of tuned in to watch? And I think even if it's a five game series, I think they will because I think I I think it's going to be kind of a feisty series. I think you know I'm tuning. I know everybody's Harden and Westbrook, Harden and Westbrook. Those guys are rarely going to be matched up with each other in this series. I can't wait to watch Beverly and Westbrook go against each other. Especially for the history that they have. Multiple games. Yeah, it was crazy. I, you know, I was watching, there's a, there's a highlight video. The internet's the best. Um, <laughs> there was a highlight video on YouTube of, of all the Westbrook, Beverly, you know, tate-a-tates that they've had through the years. And, and you forget that uh, the very first one that I think people remember is, was the leg sweep in the right. playoff series back in 20, it was in 2013. It was Harden's first year here. And, I was thinking to myself, God, that was five seasons ago. Beverly's the most tenured Rocket. Beverly was actually here. He was a Rocket before James Harden was. And it's crazy when you think, like, that's how good Patrick Beverly is as a role player, is that's a role player that survived five years with Daryl Morey as his general manager. You know what I mean? Like, that's you do a conversion chart, that's like another player surviving, like, 50 years. Only defensive-minded player, <laughs> right. Daryl Morey. He's a, heart and soul, he's a heart and soul guy, too, for this team. So I think they'll get – I think they'll – Within each of the games, I think they're going to get what they tune in for in these games. I just don't know that they're going to get as many games as they want of it because I think the Rockets are just a, a better team. They're a smoother offensive team. They're, the style that I think Westbrook wants to play in this series is something that I think I think just is feeding the beast when it comes to what D'Antoni and James Harden want to do. You know what I mean? Russell wants to get... Like he wants to get that rebound and get going and get out and run. More possessions, more turnovers. These are the things that, like you said, they fuel the Rockets. Yeah, offense. yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, he is he he would be, uh, you know, kind of uh, inadvertently, unintentionally fueling the Rockets. But then, why would you pick them in six? I th- I think just to lay my case out there, yeah. sweep, hands down, because we you have to ask yourself what is the Thunder's path to victory, and if you think that they're going to win two games, yeah. How are they going to win two games? Here, what is what is their path to that? Here, here's here is and keep in mind, it, Rockets in six with a lean towards five. So I could totally see five. Here, yeah, I know. How does that work on the gambling line? I'm caveating. <laughs> I'm caveating. Rockets in five and a half. No, I'm just uh, here's here are the things that concern me, Hunter. Is there might be a game where you get a refereeing crew that's that's letting them play. And the Thunder are the best rebounding team in the NBA. They have a significant size advantage, I think, over the Rockets. And this is Clint Capella's first playoff series as the primary guy, the, you know, the primary post guy for this team, the primary rim protector, the primary rebound, you know, the primary big for this team. Um, 
you know, what what are we going to get out of Clint Capella? So so if there's if there is a game where the officiating all in all likelihood in Oklahoma City probably with the home crowd, where it's being called a little loosely, it's being you know they're letting them play that favors the Thunder. I'm also interested just from an officiating standpoint to see how the officials in the postseason handle James's you know his new little his new we'll call it his finishing move, his. Uh, you know, the whole thing where he goes up to shoot three-pointers and he had no intention of shooting until the guy sticks his arm out, those. Um, I'm anxious long-term to see what the league does with that play just because James has gotten so adept at getting three free throws all the time. But I'm anxious to see what the officials do in this, if they still call it the same way in the postseason as they do during the regular season because we know there is a tendency to, to, to shift the ground a little bit when it comes to officiating. So I think there could, if there's a game that gets called a little, a little more loosely, I think that favors the Thunder. I think the other thing you got to be concerned about with the Rockets is that the three-point shooting can, can be, uh, you know, it can, they're a good three-point shooting team, but they have those nights where they go well, six for 35 yeah, look, or we, something. And also we look at the, the one game that the Rockets did lose against Oklahoma City this year. They were outshot, I believe it was like 34% to 48% at the three-point line. That's just so, it. I, so so I'm, I'm accounting for at least one of those games happening where just the, the three-point shots aren't falling, the Thunder is shooting better than they normally are, and... You know how those things go. I mean, it's an NBA game. Like, you, you know, momentum starts to go the wrong way in a game, and, and you know, you get snowed under a little bit. I think that they're, I, I think they're clearly the better team. Like, I, I, think, I think the Rockets sh- – I, I honestly think the Rockets should be favored. In, like, if, even in Oklahoma City, um, if the Rockets are getting any points in those games, I'm taking the points. You know what I mean? Like, I think they should, they should be the favored team in each of the games. And we just know over the course of a seven-game series – you know that that's that's why series go to five games sometimes because there's always that one clunker. So MVP conversation. Oh. Yes, Hunter. Dear God. Yes, Hunter. Let's I do can't this. do this anymore. Every single true shooting percentage. I, I'm the one who brought this up. Yeah, you but, did. But 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 I'm, but we don't need to put it in an MVP context. I, I I think I probably said it on this podcast before when we're talking about Hall of Fame for Bagwell or whatever. Is it good for the Rockets? Is it good for the Rockets? <laughs> it, it no. It's that I really I'm somebody who. Like I'm so anti-lists and awards and these conversations because they are so nauseating. They Which get is beaten. why you should also subscribe to HoustonChronicle.com so you don't get the lists that are on Chron.com. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I can't. I can't I, yeah. Man, <laughs> what can I say? You don't hold back punches. <laughs> no. Um, the MVP discussion doesn't have to happen for the point that I'm about to make. I was. I actually, what we were talking about before we went on air, um, I asked you, um, to look up Russell Westbrook's true shooting percentage. True shooting percentage for anybody out there is basically you take the normal field goal percentage and you also incorporate free throws and three-point percentage. Mm-hmm. Why is this important? Well, when we're talking about how omnipresent Russell Westbrook is in that offense, his usage rate, the highest in history, right? It is profoundly inefficient. And this metric, true shooting percentage, shows that. Um, his true shooting percentage ranks 156th in the league. Yeah. yeah, 156th in the league. And now, you know, there are two t- sides to it. One side is, yeah, he's got the ball every play. Fine, but it, 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 I don't know. If we're talking about the quality of the numbers he's putting up as opposed to the quantity of the numbers he's putting up, this is a pretty good metric. So I, and I'm not trying to plunge back into the MVP race. I'm merely making that point to try to illustrate to people out there how this matchup we're talking about that is so great, that has such star power, that is the clash of the potential MVPs, right? I mean, like, let's just cut to the chase of who can win this game, who's going to, quote-unquote, win the matchup. Um, 
you know, his shooting percentage is a huge issue, and it is why, contrasted with Harden and the Rockets in general, you know, that's the biggest advantage, or rather, let me rephrase, it's the bit, the biggest disadvantage that the Thunder have. You know, you want to talk about the rebounding. Well, when does rebounding not matter? It matters when the ball goes in the basket. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, this is my, my comparison I made, because every time I get asked, because I go on Sirius XM sometimes and talk some NBA, and I go on other people's shows, or we talk about it on my show, whenever. And when it comes down to the MVP, the raw numbers that everybody understands are what people are using as the basis for Russell Westbrook. I hate when I see people who I think are smart basketball people go, well, I just had to give him the, I had to give him my vote just because it's so historic. Think of the players who haven't done this, you know, the triple-double. And I'm like, okay, if Tim Duncan were trying to go get a triple-double, the San Antonio, if Tim Duncan were going out trying to get 10 assists a night, he should, he should be benched. That's not his job. Like, Russell Westbrook happens to be in a job where he has the ball in his hands all the time, and he has teammates who are complicit in letting him get easy rebounds all the time. So let's – and by the way, James's raw numbers, points, rebounds, and assists may as well be the same. He's two rebounds behind Russ. Like, I'm sure if James focused really, really hard on getting a couple more garbage rebounds – he could go get a couple more garbage rebounds. And if you're using that as your basis, what you're saying is if Russell Westbrook had 9.8 rebounds a game, that somehow he's less valuable. It's the most absurd argument that there is. I, this is what it comes down to for me. So the raw stats are, may as well be the same. They're, they're, they're not even – not only are James Harden and Russell Westbrook in the same club as far as their raw stats, they're like sitting in the same booth. You know what I mean? They're drinking. They have two straws in the same <laughs> drink. They're Lady and the Tramp with the freaking spaghetti in each side. Like, that's how close they are in this. So what are the big differences in the whole thing? Wins is certainly a big one, and certainly wins over expectation is just a wipeout for James. But I think there's an aesthetic part of it, too, and if you vote for the MVP, you should watch enough of both of these guys to know this, is that watch James's machine and watch Russ's machine James's machine runs much smoother than Russ's machine runs. And I thought Trevor Ariza had a great piece on the Players' Tribune this week that just sort of described, like, I've never played with anybody who makes the game easier for people around him on the offensive side of the ball than, he played James, with Kobe. than James Harden does. Right. And he played with one of the all-time greats in Kobe Bryant. But James attracts the attention and knows where guys are and has ten eyes around the, you know, the, figuratively, like, around his skull. He knows where everybody is on the floor and the analogy I make is, is I'm a huge Sopranos fan. So the analogy that I make is if, if James and Russ were both capos of their own crews in the Soprano family, James's family, James's crew would be making all their collections on time. There'd be minimal, <laughs> there'd be minimal violence. They'd be coming up with new ideas to Tony that would be ideas that would fly under the radar of the fa- They'd be the perfect crew just cleanly run you never have to worry about them russell's crew would earn pretty well like they'd bring in a lot of money but they'd be leaving breadcrumbs around for the feds <laughs> fingerprints everywhere you know showing up after a hit with blood still spattered <laughs> on their shirts you know so at the end of the day the pile of money might be you know like james's pile is probably a little higher than russ's pile but russ's pile which isn't even as big as james's pile comes with a whole lot of liability attached to it that's the analogy i make yeah, on this podcast, I think I'm Paulie and you're Big Puss. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I'm only going to have like one podcast left before you guys whack me. Nice of you to take the guy that lived to the very end of, spoiler alert, that lived to the very end of the saga. 
Yeah. I was actually listening to, uh, what was it? I think it was Madden Radio this week, and uh, Meltzer was saying that he's only seen one episode of The Sopranos yeah. and missed the finale. It's the most positively Meltzer thing of all time. Yeah. Like, he watched the last episode of The how Sopranos. How do you do that? He's Meltzer. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. Mike's the best. All right, so we're all thinking the Rockets move pretty well in this series. Uh, do any of you guys envision anyone taking out the Warriors in the West? Nope. Wait. Well, it's not that simple. We've talked about this before. Whenever I was I was sort of in studio last time about how um, it would take it certainly would take an injury, right? Whether it's to you know something sustained for Durant, um, maybe to Curry. You think about the finals last year and Draymond Green getting ejected, right, and then missing a game. That I don't think that's so implausible. Is is is, is what I'm trying to say? Yeah. You know. That's not the. It's not. That's not a miracle that it would take. That's that's that can happen, and that that is really, I think, all it all the Rockets need to just simply gain the points advantage um, of all the teams in the NBA. They definitely. We've said this before. Have the best puncher's chance at being the Warriors at their own game. In fact, they're the only team that really can play like the Warriors, um, unless the Cavs, you know, somehow miraculously figured out on defense this postseason. So I'm not so definitive about that, Sean. I mean, it without question, they are the favored team, again, without any question about that. But um, how, how many weeks would it be until round three when the Warriors would That's play? I think our late May, probably Memorial Day. Well, it's, right. it's, it's, always, yeah, right, it's always been around Memorial Day. So we got three weeks, right? Like, more, no, 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 more it's than about that. a month. More, a month, a month. month and change, yeah. dude. I mean, that is a long time. Yeah. for us to be so assured right now that the Warriors don't have any roadblocks ahead of them. I think you know, in a weird way, this Durant injury probably helped the Warriors a little bit, just because they got comfortable playing without, without him. him, right? Um, and not just playing without him, but playing well without him. You know, they won 14 in a row, I think, at one point late in the season without him. Um, it, which to me begs the question, you know, Steph had kind of taken a back seat to Durant uh, during the first part of the season when, when Durant was there. And I think an interesting question with the Warriors in a scenario like you just proposed, Hunter, is if you're the rest of the NBA and you're rooting for a, an injury – Albeit, it probably makes you a bad person to root for injuries, but you know, you know, we are bad just people. For, yeah, yeah. So as <laughs> long as we all it. agree, the four of us are horrible people. Um, but if you're the rest of the NBA and you're rooting for an injury to the Warriors, which player are you rooting for an injury for? That's because, a good question. Because I think it's Draymond or Durant. Those guys. I mean, the war, the Rockets don't have answers for them. Interesting. See, because I I think. Okay. JaVale McGee? Well, <laughs> JaVale <laughs> McGee. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, the I. I the Rockets for the Rockets, maybe. I'm thinking just rest of the league and like just on the aggregate, who's the most valuable guy? I still think Curry is the guy that makes that whole thing go. You know what I mean? I still think Curry is the guy who, when when his when his game is at its peak, because he does so many things for them. I think Durant's probably if you threw all the players of the NBA into a pool, Durant probably gets picked before Curry. But specifically to what they like to do and with that cast. I, Curry is so crucially important to them, and just in terms, he's the Harden for that basketball team, with just that, and, you know, and, and a better outside shooter than now James does some things better than Steph too, obviously, and he's he's a little stronger physically and things like that. But I I still think like if you I'm envisioning I envision taking Curry off of that team, and I go wow, and maybe it's because we've seen them play without right. Durant, it's a little easier to visualize. Um, and I know they played without Curry for a few games in that Rockets series, like man, whatever, you know, that was a bad Rockets team. 
Um, it's harder to visualize that team going and winning an NBA title, to me at least, like all the way through, like going all the way through and then beating probably LeBron in the end without Steph. Then it, I just have a hard time picturing that team with Sean Livingston running the point for 35 minutes a night, winning an NBA championship more so than I do without Kevin Durant. And again, maybe it's because we watched them win 14 in a row or whatever it was without KD. Tour. And they and oh no, by the way, an NBA title without KD too, two years ago. And, and, and why root for an injury when we can just make it happen? Just make sure that, that, they, that, they, <laughs> that they fly united. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it, it's foolproof. <laughs> and it's not even a, right, it's not even a, it's, it's not even a like a like a contest as to which warrior player would be the most likely to get dragged off of the flight. It's dream <laughs> dream, right? Like, right. Tra- like yeah, tra- I don't know. He probably like kicking security. I was just saying he'll be dragged off kicking and screaming. He will. <laughs> yes, he will. I had to get something into the basketball talk just like for ten seconds. So <laughs> I don't know why you're looking at me, Jeremy. I'm, I'm fine with you saying or not saying anything for an hour. I, I actually I, I got halfway through War and Peace just sitting here. So hey, by the way, as I sit here crowning the Golden State Warriors, and I know this is this will be obsolete by the time this gets posted. It's fifty six fifty six late in the second quarter. Oh wow, oh. the uh, Trailblazers. All right, spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. Okay. Oh, was I not supposed to say anything? No, no, no. Totally uh, fine. Oh, it's fine. No, no, no. It's it's in the past now. So <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if you guys were like recording the game and didn't want to know. And I've, I have a co-host. That suggests that, that we watch the games. I have a co-host that does that. <laughs> I have, uh, somehow Rich Lord manages to like tape sporting events and avoid contact with the, in, with the entire world and watch them the next day. Well, it helps that he's not on any version of social media. That, that's fair. <laughs> So, okay, I, I used to actually call into the Astros postgame shows when he was hosting it on 610 you way did? back in the day. That is back and in I the day. And I used to uh, actually give him a trivia question at the end of it. I would always call in to try to answer the trivia question so I could win whatever like IW marks thing they were giving away. You are, I, I you remember were, always posing trivia questions. I was you like are so adorable. I know, I was cute. My mom, <laughs> yeah, I was just, uh, my mom used to like record them. She was like, oh my gosh, he's on the radio. Do you still have the tapes? I, I'm, my mom probably does, yeah. yeah. They're probably buried somewhere. <laughs> Where are we heading with this, Austin? All right. No, let's talk Astros. Oh. All right. So you had some really good stories this past week. Uh, A.J. Hench, uh, great story on his Stanford career. Uh, Reed Ryan's uh, son as well. But So if you haven't seen those, check out Hunter's Twitter feed, at HunterAtkins35. Also, uh, check out Cron.com or HoustonChronicle.com so you can get, a, get away from the clickbait. But uh, uh, if, if we're looking at the Astros, and you know we talk a lot about uh, you know, the Texans and Rockets and overanalyzing certain stretches of the season. Astros currently off to an eight and four start. 12 games. It's kind of minuscule baseball. I don't know. It seems like a lot of people suggest you have to wait till June to kind of identify what a team actually looks like. They're playing pretty well right now. Keiko looks to be the 2015 Keiko. Is this team as good as we all thought they could be? Or is it still too early to tell? It, it's well, it's too early on anything when you're 12 games into a baseball season. But they look like the team right now. They look they look like the team that I think a lot of people forecasted them to be, right. which is the the after a lull at the beginning of the year with the bats, the bats seem to have come around a little bit. These last, I'm not worried about the hitting. Like this, Altuve is going to hit, and Springer's get, you know Springer's got a million home runs, and Correa, thank God the the X rays were negative. The X rays were <laughs> negative, and it's just a contusion. So I think the hitting is going to be fine. If you gave me one wish going into the season, one reasonable wish going into the season, it would have been health for Dallas Keuchel, and it looks like you're getting the Dallas Keuchel. Three games in, you're getting like the deluxe version of Keuchel from two years ago. Like He looks great so far, so it's good to know he still has that club in his bag. 
you know, to me, it's the rest of the rotation that's going to decide things. And so, you know, Lance McCullers outing yesterday was a little bit troubling, you know, giving up a couple home runs. And, and it's always there's always going to be the lingering health things with Lance McCullers. You know, how's the back end of the rotation do? So it's, it's a lot to, you know, to get through a 162-game season counting on just, you know, the bats just being the thing to, to carry you through um, is, is sort of a dicey thing. But I, I'm, I'm in, overall, I'm, I'm very in, uh, encouraged by everything so far. I'll say that. You know, I'm, I'm encouraged. Then the biggest thing is Keiko. I mean, you've covered the games. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, full like full transparency. I I think I only covered opening night, so <laughs> I I'm I'm covering Monday's game. But Jake Kaplan, our beat writer, does uh, does that and does it. He's very good. He he's so much better than yeah. I'll ever be. Um, no, but I, I've certainly watched. I would say that to keep things simple, the everything that's happened so far has actually met the exact expectations that yeah. we all set. Right? We said, well, Keiko's got to pitch this certain way to be effective. He has. Yeah. He's been stupendous. Um, I'll. I'll Here's a great stat, and this is courtesy of uh, Darren Willman of BaseballSavant.com. Keuchel, of his 278 pitches, only eight have been up and out of the zone. What does that mean? I mean, he's keeping the ball down, and he's showing... he struggled with last year. Without question. He's, he's shown awesome command, the kind of command that, you know, uh, the team needs from this guy. And then, when we talk about the offense, I mean... I don't think we should get too wrapped up in Springer's home runs, right? Let's not start thinking that he's going to break any barriers. But what's actually nice is the timeliness of a lot of the hitting, right? Like, they'll go these, they've gone really long stretches in games, you know, several innings at a time with zero run protection, which frightens you. And then, bang, you know, they have these gluts of scoring. You know, good and bad, right? The bad is that it's unclear what kind of consistency they're going to have. But let's be frank, like, this team has not been the most consistent scoring team the last few years. So... The idea that they now have so much depth, it's kind of feeding what we expected, which is that at any point in the game, whether it's from the starter, from the middle reliever, maybe even from the closer at the end, um, the other, you know, the pit, the opposing pitching uh, is going to be very wary, one all the way through nine. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is is one through four, whoever it's, you know, they they were. They were great at the top of the lineup last year, and Altuve was an MVP candidate. But, yeah, they've got guys five, six through the bottom of the order now, for the most part, that at least make other pitching staffs work a little bit, that at least give you pause when guys are on base that they can that, – that these guys who are – you know, that they can hurt you. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. It's going to be taxing, I think, physically and mentally for other pitching staffs, especially over the course of a you know, three- or four-game series – Against this team, to 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 manage, you know, to to manage that lineup. They've, they've, a, oh, they've done sorry. a good job of. They just they've, they've done a very good job of upgrading. No, and to piggyback year. off that point, you know who's been really good is Aoki. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I couldn't have. I, it's not like I, I have a rooting interest in 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 any team in the league anymore. But um, I just didn't think this guy was worth that much. He's been outstanding. Yeah. Right. And we talk about the depth of the lineup. It extends to the bench. Right. Marisic's having a, a decent year too. He is. So. Um, but again, just to keep things measured, it's been a, you know the last few games that have impressed us. It's come against the Athletics. They're very bad. Yeah. So you know, let's keep measured. That's I, one of those things. Like that. That's like, uh, you know, if it were the opposite, like if if the if the lack of hitting had sort of drifted and continued into the series with the with the A's, you'd be like, okay, well now I'm now I'm getting a little bit worried here. But it's like, okay, you know, maybe. 
maybe we don't quite know what we have yet, but at least the bats have come around a little bit. And, sco- and I like that they've fallen behind in some of these games, and they've they haven't panicked or anything. You know, they were no hit through five innings yesterday, and then next thing you Score know, ten runs. I have friends that are like <laughs> they were getting no hit. I went to the store, and they came back, came back, and they were up <laughs> ten to six. It was great. Yeah, it's definitely fun to watch, yeah. and uh, I, you know, with the Texans and just the you know the cluster that we had talked about earlier, just we don't necessarily foresee them competing for a championship anytime soon. It's nice to see the Rockets doing what they're doing. 55 wins in the regular season. Potentially challenging in the Western Conference. Astros, probably your favorites in the AL West. Uh, depends what we see coming out of Texas. But I don't know. It's just exciting time for Houston Athletics. And I think last time on the podcast, we asked you about the golden age of Houston Athletics. And uh, I'm going to pose it to you one more time. Are we in that golden age right now? And who wins the championship first? We're closer to it maybe now, I think, than we were when you when you asked me about it because we're still, you know, the Texans are still the same element away from being in that conversation, which is fixing the quarterback. It's the hardest thing to do, obviously, but fixing the quarterback situation. Um, but I, look, we're, you know, certainly the Astros and the Rockets, since the last time we talked, are closer to – those are both teams that should be taken seriously in the conversation for title contenders in their – in their sports, um, who who does it first? I, I'll say I'll say the Astros. I'll I'll, I'll say the Astros because uh, I you know I think um, I I think they're they're in a situation that is a more winnable situation right now. I, the Texans, uh, you know, you're you're banking on either Tom Savage or a quarterback down the right. You know, the Texans Texans are the furthest away of the three, so put them aside. Um, the Rockets just that you know in some ways the Rockets just. Uh, are, are the victim of geography a little bit. You know, if the Rockets were in the Eastern Conference, I would feel a little bit better about their chances of, hey, get into a seven-game series. They, you know, hey, get into a seven-game series with, you know, the Spurs or the Warriors or whoever, and then, you know, we'll t- the, we've all, you know, we've both been playing two months of basketball, and we feel maybe we're conditioned to win it. They've got to get through both of those teams just to get to, in all likelihood, LeBron James at the end. So they just have a harder road to go, I think. Than the Astros probably do, so I'll I'll say the Astros as far as the first of the three. But we're living in a really cool age, and I think the coolest thing too for fans that are like sort of next level fans, like I think we all are here, where we get into not just the wins and losses and going to the ballpark or the arena, but the architecture and how the teams are put together and and all the thought process that goes into it, the the analysis that goes into it. We live we live in a city that's been really interesting from that standpoint across all three of those sports over the last three or four years. You know, from from the the Astros constructing a team using this tear down, strip down, draft and rebuild method, to also the, known as tanking. To also, yeah, <laughs> full circle. Yeah, yeah, full full circle. Um, to the Rockets who have been tasked with the you know Daryl Morey's been tasked really kind of now twice um, with being able to with with building a team and not doing the exact, you know, not tanking, doing the exact opposite of what the Astros did. Les Alexander mandates that we continue to put as competitive a team on the floor as we can and still try to build. So, you know, Daryl inherited Yao and Tracy and all that came with their respective anatomies, unfortunately, you know, brought in Ron Artest, built a team that looked like it could really compete. And then we know what happened. Yao's body fell apart. Tracy's body fell apart. So you go through this lull. They get James Harden, they get Dwight Howard, you get to the Western Conference Finals, and then we know how that sort of quasi-collapsed, and now he's on round three, and it's just amazing how quickly he was able to spin this thing and rebuild it around James Harden into a team that's, that's in the conversation for the NBA championship now. 
And then you have the, the, the Texans who have just been trying forever to find that, who have built everything but the hardest position to go find in sports. So we live in a cool city from that stand. You know, it's, I don't know if it's, it's obviously not a golden era in terms of championships right now, but I think it's a, for things like we do where we just, you know, sit and talk and hypothesize and, and analyze and things like that, it's been a really interesting city to live in from that standpoint across all three of these teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we appreciate you for stopping by the the weekly brew studios, if you will. And you're actually I love the weekly <laughs> brew studios. <laughs> isn't little... it? Isn't this so? But isn't this so much more professional than you would have expected? It's very very. Other than <laughs> I don't want to tell yeah, yeah. what my expectations. And, and you literally have the spotlight the entire time. Like it's I'm sitting awesome. here over here in yeah. darkness, and yeah. you've got like this huge yeah, light on yeah. you. Yeah. I was just going to say ass. it's very professional. Other than Jeremy. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say don't 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 let my dorky appearance fool you. I'm not a super fan. Just put pants on. That would be a start. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you're actually heading over to uh, the CBS studios right yeah. now to do your uh, national show. And of course, you've got a show, uh, Afternoon Drive show here on Sports Radio 610. Uh, we're pretty sure that all of our listeners are already familiar with you. But if, if there's somebody out there that doesn't know about your shows, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, 2 to 6 p.m. on Sports Radio 610, the triple threat. It's myself, um, Rich Lord, who's been doing radio in Houston for 86 years now, <laughs> believe it or he, not. He's aged well. He's, yeah, he's 114 <laughs> years old. Um, no, I love you, Rich. Um, uh, Ted Johnson, who I think people know, uh, you know, uh, won three Super Bowls with Bill Belichick playing linebacker for those Patriot teams. So that's, yeah, 2 to 6, Sports Radio 610, 5 to 9 p.m. on Sunday nights, on locally here on 610, but nationwide on the radio.com app and in a bunch of cities if you're driving around uh, on Sunday nights. And, uh, and Texans postgame show also. So uh, when the season rolls around and you're drunk hanging out in the parking <laughs> lot after games, uh, you know, tune in and uh, Ted and I do the post game show for the Texans, and I will be on draft coverage for the Texans as well in a couple weeks. I'll be doing the day three, eleven to three p.m. on day three, so probably rounds four and five with me and Johnny Harris on Texans Radio. Yeah, and, and John does a great job of breaking down the draft. And Johnny's the best. Johnny is my first radio partner. Really? Uh, yeah, John. Yeah, yeah. Johnny and I broke into the the uh, into the business together back in two thousand seven. Um, he and I were, we had never done radio before. Um, we were on 1560 when the, when 1560 first started up, um, they put us on an afternoon drive together. So he was my first radio partner. That's cool. It's the most fun two years I've ever had in a job it was my first two years in radio. So, so what is it like working with both Sean and Ted? With the, John, <laughs> I'm blanking right yeah. now. Yeah. Wow. Rich and Ted? Rich and Ted. You're Sean. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's good. I mean, it's look, here's the thing with radio is I'll preface anything I say about any aspect of my job with, I get paid to talk about sports. So it's like the floor is an A minus. Like when you go into work and do this for a job every day, um, it's fun because, you know, like Rich has the longtime perspective of being here in Houston for forever. Um, you know, Ted's got the view of being the former athlete who was in the locker room, especially on football stuff. But I think he carries that over. You know, here's, here's the thing that people need to know about Ted is that Ted watches the Astros and the Rockets as closely as he does the Texans. So whereas his football analysis is going to be like deep, deep dive because he played in Romeo Cornell's defense. He was the Brian Cushing of Romeo Cornell's defense. Like you're, gonna, you're not going to find anybody who knows what the Texans are trying to do defensively and maybe even offensively too just from having, you know, been in that Patriot ecosystem. Um, than Ted Johnson. But he watches the Rockets and the Astros super, super close, too, and works really hard on those. So 
It's great. It's, you know, three guys. Sometimes it's difficult to juggle that. It's a lot of real estate, but, uh, or it's a little bit of real estate for a lot of voices. And a lot of people go, you guys don't take a lot of calls. I'm like, we barely get in what we want to <laughs> say. Like, I, we think we're going to invite you. So, uh, but it's fun. We have a great time. And it's a, and the whole lineup. I mean, we, we have a really good lineup up at the station, a really good group of guys who I know, I know you guys are friendly with some of them. So um, it's, it's awesome. It was my, my, my career goal was to get to 610. So I'm happy. And then your next career goal is to tag team with me for the championship at WrestleMania. That's my wrestling goal, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, also known as your life goal. <laughs> it's my life goal, goal. yeah. yeah. No, my, my career goals involve Las Vegas at some point down the road. Meaning like dancing? Or? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to be a background singer for Garth Brooks. When he's <laughs> or maybe even a stand-in. I was, so I, so I maybe, maybe working with uh, Musburger? I don't know. I, I, I yeah, no. I, I was joke. I've been joking to some people lately, like that. In the next couple of months, I want Brett Musburger to become my best friend. Um, I'd like to be in that world at some point. Like the sport. I think. I think the walls are going to come crashing down on sports gambling at some point here in the very near future. As far as, but I think Vegas is still going to be sort of the nerve center for all of it because it always has been. Um, but I think we all know the direction things are going with sports gambling. Right. Like it's closer to being legalized than it is to staying illegal. And I've, it's always been something that I've been enthused by. People, I think people think um, that because of my persona on my show that I'm this massive degenerate gambler because I, I've, I've been I'm kayfabing that. here. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's wrestling parlance <laughs> yes, for I'm, those of you I'm, out there. I'm kayfabing. Storyline-wise, I'm a degenerate on my, uh, on my local <laughs> show here. But I'm gonna tell Yeah, you Sean guys. is much more a baby face on our podcast than, <laughs> yeah, yeah, than, I, he, than I play, heel. He's I play, cleaned up really well. I, I, I do. Know. I play subtle heel, maybe tweener on my... Uh, <laughs> no, Jeremy, baby face doesn't refer to him shaving, okay? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's a wrestling term for the good guy. Yes. The heel being the villain. <laughs> um. But I, I, and I do gamble. Like I do, I do bet on on sporting events. You guys saw my enthusiasm when I saw that the Wizards had covered the five point number today. <laughs> but, uh, but I like, but I don't bet nearly as much as I probably let on that I do right. on my show. I'm just more interested. I, I find that whole world to be very interesting, and I find it to be totally applicable too to just discussing sports. You know what I mean? Like to discussing probabilities and it, it, you know. It, those worlds are melding, like gambling and maybe the analysis, you know, the statistical analysis of things, and maybe the Venn diagram hadn't really crossed over in the minds of sports fans very much. The two circles were separate from each other for a number of years, but I think those circles are starting to get closer and closer together, and people realize that all gambling is, all the odds are, are just percentage forecasts on what we think could happen. And there's a lot of analysis and, and analytics that go into the odds makers. Now, there's a lot of human nature, too, that goes into setting those lines and trying to bait people in maybe right, and, right. and get money on one side. But it's, anyways, it's, it's a world that's becoming way more mainstream. And down the road, I think it's something I want to be part of. Austin, this conversation must be making you tumescent at the moment. <laughs> I'm like grinning ear to ear. That's not the only thing that's <laughs> moving ear to ear for you. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> I've been labeled also on this podcast as a uh, degenerate gambler. Are you a big gambling guy, Austin? Not like... To, a, to the point of arousal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I took a little crap from Hunter back in, what was it, December? I think it was maybe New Year's Eve, December 30th. I don't know. Like did, make this a short story. I mean, Ryan I Anderson get... over under on the line was like 12 and a half points for him. And I, yeah, I put yeah. like 50 bucks on the over because I just... That's not, no, but, no, but that's not what was amazing me. No, no, no. We were, during college football season, you had a parlay of like, what was it, 17 games or something? It was during the, it was during the bowl season. 
That's what I thought you were going to tell that story. Oh, no, you no. had something. You had some incredible. Yeah, like because you could put five like, bucks on like a fifteen team parlay, and if yeah. it hits, you're golden. No. But you were like John Nash, like you know, coordinating <laughs> it on a glass window with chalk yeah. and marker, and like you know, I didn't, put, I didn't know you saw that. I did, I did see that. I did. That's the whole point. That's how in actually, the zone you were. I was literally I, next I, I to you really when you were doing about you for a while. Yeah. No, it, it actually got to the point where I was visiting my parents a few weeks back, and my sister's like, "So, are you? Do you really gamble like a lot?" Like, I was like, "No, I swear, it's it's just for fun. I think it's a fun way to stay in tune with sports and have a rooting interest in a game that otherwise you just don't care." That's about. where it always starts. That's what, to me. That no, like that's that's where it started for me. Was like I'm bored watching this game, and then you find out. Like I'm talking back when I was like a teenager, and I'm like, wow, this makes this game a lot more interesting. Um, and then it, before you know it, you're going to bet on things like whose baggage is going to come out first at the airport. You know, a couple every, cockroaches running towards the <laughs> yeah. wall. In every part of yeah. life, you can make it more interesting when you put you, money on. You the line. absolutely can. Yeah, you absolutely can. So that that's that's where it. You know, certainly making things more interesting is is where it probably uh, stems from but I'll, I'll say this like I I bet on like zero college basketball this year for the first time in, in, in a long time I don't know why it was maybe I was just busy I just wasn't into it whatever this was the least informed I ever was filling out my bracket like when I'm betting on when I am going through a cycle or a season of where I'm consistently betting on certain teams or certain sports or certain conferences and things like that I'm a better talk show host. <laughs> I, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm, if I bet on every Rockets game, I would know every nuance of every nook and cranny of that team. Now, I watch all the games, but I don't watch. I say I watch all the games. There's games, some games I don't watch, but I watch most of the games. And I, you know, like, but there's certain nights where I'm doing my blog while the game's on in the background. I guarantee you, if I had, you know, 50, 75 bucks on the game and it's Rockets minus six and a half. Put the blog aside for a couple hours and watch that game. You know what I mean? It just it dials you into it a little bit more. You watch it a little bit more um, intensely. And if this sounds like me trying to rationalize and justify gambling, no, you, well, I, damn it, who I, I cares? Like it. I like it. Yeah, you're making me feel better about yeah, myself. Good, good. Well, that's why I'm here, Austin. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, they they wanted me to be on this so you would feel better about yourself. So wait, is this like sort of an intervention? A little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, no. <laughs> uh, do I have to point out that you have an erection while we're having this conversation? <laughs> What do you like under the table? Like looking? Ah, the table move. Austin. Yeah, yeah. He's back. He's back. Tim <laughs> uh, Kirkchen here. Austin is the only guy on a Sunday during a radio show to have a boner. You got to do that for Ted sometime. Ted Ted loves Tim Kirkchen. I love Ted. He's a large, he's a very large man. I'm very small. I often spend my weekends hiding under the studio table. Uh, they feel like they'll drop me bits of Oreos and Fig Newtons. They're delicious. Uh, but it's so dark down here, guys. <laughs> Ted's favorite Kirkshanism is, and that's why baseball is the greatest game in the whole world. <laughs> Talk about two mescents. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks to uh, Tim Kirkshan for also stopping, stopping by the studio today. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but Sean, it's been uh, great having you on. And, uh, if, if you don't follow Sean already on social media, he's pretty active on Twitter, at Sean T. Pendergast. Yes. And, uh, Sean, it's been great. A little too active for my girlfriend's taste. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank I you. I bet I, that's what she says about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, this is cool. I, I, I uh, Usually when we've done it, we've done it, or the two times before, we've done it over the phone. Right. So uh, this, this has been a lot of fun coming out here and chopping it up with you guys. So uh, anytime. Thank you.
Well, we absolutely had a blast having you on the show, and make sure to listen to Sean uh, weekdays from yes. 2 to 6 on Sports Radio 610. My kids got to eat! <laughs> <laughs> His kids have to eat, and uh, one of them might be going to Baylor. One of them might be. Yeah, my son Sammy got into Baylor. Oh, yeah, right. Got, Calm down. Yeah, I, yeah that's I, right. Sammy, you, t- you too. Let's get it going. Son, my son, I've got two, fr- I have two that are freshmen in college, and then Sammy's a senior. Sammy got into Baylor. That's so. awesome. So it's, it's great to you. I, I guess I can't speak from experience, but it's got to be cool to see uh, kids go off and... You know, Dear God. And Austin, well. you are you are sporting the Baylor gear I on the podcast. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but, uh, I, I wish we were. My kids yet. are all way smarter than me, so that's <laughs> that's very cool. They're genetic miracles. I don't know. They were choosing Baylor. <laughs> Jeez. Touche. All right. So again, uh, thanks to both uh, Jeff and Gunny for joining us a little bit earlier on the podcast, and Sean, thanks again for stopping by the My studio. And if you want to follow our work, just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And uh, thanks also to uh, Hunter and, I guess, Jeremy for stopping by the studio this week. But uh, without further ado, uh, we appreciate everyone for uh, listening, and uh, thanks, Sean. Appreciate yeah. it. Okay, yeah. one quick plug. The quick yes, plug is one that... Quick plug. Sorry. For everybody out there, we've made it free on cron.com as opposed to our subscription site, Houston Chronicle. A big story that I did on A.J. Hinch. took a long time. It's a really long profile of him. I'm not going to lie. It's not a short read. But if you really wanted to know intimately who this guy is, how he became this cerebral, emotionally vulnerable man, uh, I did a really deep dive about his time at Stanford University. I encourage everybody to read it. Uh, You can get it on my Twitter which is Hunter Atkins 35 or just straight up on cron.com for free. Yeah, I read it earlier this week and just reading And you story, just finished it today. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's not quite as long as War and Peace, but uh, you know, just just reading it you kind of understand why the Astros are the team that they are now. Just like the the camaraderie that you see, the energy, the uh, enthusiasm in the locker room, especially out of a win. It definitely makes sense from what we saw in your article with A.J. Hinch. But, Sean, I know you got to go. No, let we me just pre- say one thing, too. Hunter, his piece on Reed Ryan was awesome. Jackson uh, and, Ryan. Jackson Ryan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On Reed, yeah Reed Ryan's son, Jackson, was fantastic. Uh, my older son goes to TCU, um, so as did Reed. And my older son also has CP. Like Jackson does. I don't for, think for those at home that don't know, I wrote a story about uh, Jackson Ryan, yep. who is the grandson of Nolan Ryan. Yeah. And he is a pitcher, a uh, high school pitcher for Second Baptist, and he has cerebral palsy. That's right. Yeah. And, and, it's, and the story is amazing. The story of how he pitches, you know, almost like Jim Abbott back in the yeah. day with the glove on the, on the one hand and switching it to field. And, it's, and him not wanting any special treatment or anything like that. It was just, it was a, it's a great, really inspiring story. And as I mentioned, my, my older son is a TCU Horn Frog who he dealt with a lot of stuff with CP growing up. It, was, it affected his leg. So he had multiple operations on his leg. Finally was able to play football in high school and stuff like that. So it's, it's, uh, I shared the story with him. He thought it was amazing. So it's a really, really cool story. If you've, you know, if, uh, uh, if you get a chance to read that, you know, it sounds like the A.J. Hinch story could take a couple days to read. So if, uh, if you need a break, yeah, if you need, no, I'm ser- but in all seriousness, it was you did a great job on that. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. And uh, I'm just happy to hear that he didn't go to Baylor. Uh, he, he went to TCU. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and wrap it up. <laughs> Sean, we appreciate it. Thank you.